electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, another development in the battle between JetBlue and Frontier for Spirit Airlines. JetBlue's CEO Robin Hayes on what his team can offer. We sent a letter again this morning. It's not too late for the Spirit Board to do the right thing for their shareholders. I tell you, their shareholders expect them to do it. And is winter coming for crypto? Forecast founder and editor-in-chief Angie Lau. I think we're in a crypto contraction, to be sure, a crypto correction. Those stories plus gas prices are driving a hole in consumer pockets. Elon Musk is trying to level out his staff, and it's another chapter in the Starbucks union story. I think there's 600 people maybe within Starbucks who have either voted to do this or even just raised their hand to say they want to do this. And they they employ something like 200 some thousand people. It's Monday, June 6th, 2022. And Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, two, three. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And guys, welcome back. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Thank you. Monday and back. It's a shocker, Andrew, right? Gang is back. Monday and back. But it's just a one, two. No, I'm good. I'm good. June. Monday's already over, practically, because we're here. That's the tough part of Monday. And it was... um, Light outside. Yes, it's beautiful. Light Birds outside uh, as yep, we approach is. June. Is it June 21st? Longest day of the year. 21st is I the think it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's June 21st is coming. Weather's turned around in most places. Beautiful. Leaf yesterday, year. yesterday was, uh, was it nice in New York? Because New Jersey fulfilled the promise of the nicest state in, in the country yesterday. For two days in a row. It was a beautiful actually. day out. It, and it was, you know, not humid. It was... In the sun, it might have been just 80. It was perfect, unless you went to fill up your car for gas. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. The numbers are big. They're hitting triple digits on a, on a big car. 120 gas. And you do fill up quite a bit when you go. I had, uh, this was a driving vacation. And, and you, do, it, you do notice, you do notice when it's ticking $90, ticking $90, ticking $90. And the, the conversation becomes, if you hit $5 as a national average, which we're not far from right now, does that actually, is that the, the pain point where people say, okay, I'm not going to drive Where are these much? states where you're seeing, I saw a $10 print in, in some states. I, think so. I thought California was the highest. Yeah, that's crazy. That's, yeah, I, I, that's got to be some one-off situation. California as a, as a state is the highest state average at 684. Uh, but 684 a gallon, I mean, that... You don't think you're seeing it in some places already? Seeing, seeing six? What, seeing driving, uh, oh, people driving falling off? No, no I don't I, know. I, I, I already hear about it from friends of mine about drives so they're that they, not going. they're not going to take, plane rides that they're not going to take. I was that looking, by plane the way, tickets have flight gotten recently. Expensive. It's, not a, it's yeah. not a drive, but the flight for a commercial, commercial, regular, like middle seat in the United States domestic was like $2,000 one way. And I thought to myself, I, I think I know which flight this. that is. 
<laughs> I was looking at them too. And, and, and by the way, one of the ones I was looking at was like $1,500 coach. Um, so one way. I, my only point is, I think there are people who are going to make decisions together? if you these got, are yeah. if these are year. not business trips that have to be made, but are are effectively social trips that people are making for either see family or going, going on vacation. Where are you going I think people there? are. I think there's a view now. I, you know, may have you to pull it back. Yeah. You guys, you guys are going away again together. She said she's looking at the same flight you're looking at, and you just said it was not a business flight. I don't think Andrew I, and I think I know together. the flight she was looking at, but I don't. I think she thought. I, we oh, don't need to do our, our business on the air, but I don't. I think we're talking about actually two separate things. But I now think I know what she's talking about. Safe to say, we spend enough time together. We we, we may we not do. be vac- together for a very right. long and time, and we may not be vacationing together. That may not be unless it's unless it's one place. Davos. Maybe next year. Maybe next. Maybe, maybe next. Won't be like already. We're closing in on it uh, again. Theoretically. Tesla CEO Elon Musk sent a message to employees on Friday. This is, you know, there's cross currents here. Announcing a reduction in headcount by 10%. Uh, Musk said the company become overstaffed in many areas. But then he goes on to say it, it doesn't apply to anyone actually building cars, battery packs, or installing uh, solar. Uh, in fact, hourly headcounts going to increase. Musk tweeted on Saturday that the total number of Tesla employees hired would increase, but that salaried staff should remain fairly flat. He did not clarify whether existing salaried employees would become hourly employees or if new employees uh, would be hired at Tesla. Remember, late Thursday, Musk sent an email to executives saying that Tesla would pause hiring uh, because he had a super bad a feeling about um, the economy. But, so hey, Joe. Mc, yeah, go ahead. McLovin turned 40. Uh, I saw that last week, but, but go ahead. One just piece of context on this, because I don't know if you also saw on Friday, then you had President Biden effectively taking a shot at him, uh, promoting Ford for, for creating 6,000 jobs and saying, you know, good luck to Elon Musk. The truth is that Tesla has actually hired about 50,000 people in the past 24 months, 50,000 people around the world. So in terms of just context about what's happening here, and at the same time, remember, he went out and said, you know, don't come to the, if you're not going to come to the office, don't work, uh, or don't work here, rather. I actually think that's all part of the same thing, which is to say, if he can try to get that headcount either a little bit lower, or at least just flat, that's what he's going for. But then to see President Biden taking a shot at him and, and then saying, Look over at Ford creating 6,000 jobs. By the way, God bless Ford for creating 6,000 jobs in the United States. But on a relative basis, I mean, come on. I don't even understand how we can have these conversations. I'm not sure about the, the whole Tesla-Biden administration dynamic. I, I don't, I'm not really. I guess it's about you. Well, you said it before, Andrew. It's about It's unions. all about the unions. It's about unions. But the math doesn't make any sense. Because think about it. There's 14 million. I mean, politically, this just seems like such a missed opportunity for President Biden. This should be his his you would think this guy would be his ally in life. And instead, he's turned him the other way just by 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 antagonizing him for reasons that I don't understand. Yeah. A union representing Starbucks workers is claiming that the coffee giant is shutting down a recently unionized cafe in retaliation for that move. The union alleges the closure of the Ithaca, New York store is also aimed at stopping workers elsewhere from organizing. Starbucks says that it opens and closes stores as a regular part of its operations. Andrew, what do you think? You've been watching this pretty closely. You've got uh, Howard Schultz back in com- command on this. Is that something? I know the store because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Cornelian. I know the store. 
I, I don't there are a whole bunch of them up there. So it's not um, it's hard to know exactly what they're what they're thinking. I don't know if it's just that one store. Is that going to then move the entire town to try to to unionize there? I mean, clearly there are issues and there are people in, in certain places that want to do it. But I would also say and it's funny because if you look at some of the numbers, we talk about this story all the time. I think there's 600 people maybe within Starbucks who have either voted to do this or even just raised their hand to say they want to do this. And they they employ something like 200 some thousand people. So like again, little context. Life is relative. We'll see. We'll see. The, the they're vulnerable, I think, Andrew, Starbucks. Not, totally. Not the, I, I think they're vulnerable to the upstarts that that may offer, you know, people that are happier and uh, maybe some facilities that are, that are a little better kept. And because there's some I see them in different places around where, where I live. And it's like, wow, I want to go there, I think. I have a place called, I don't know, you ever seen a Greg's, I think it's called? And it's, The Humphreys by me. Yeah, but they're, and they, they might have something a little bit different, and it's like, I don't want to go to Starbucks. So I think they're vulnerable as the big monolith kid on the block. The challenge, I think the biggest challenge for them is not even the unions. It's that the business models change. The whole idea of the third place, this place that you'd go hang out, has changed. Most Starbucks has now have become a takeout situation there are lines out the door. It's also and moved it's from hot drinks. coffee. Yeah. And I'm going from hot coffee here, which is a lot easier, to cold. Cold still was, couches hey, in takes, some of takes them longer. Yeah, they, they still have couches. Some of them are not. Do. Some I've of them just people. look, you know, the tables aren't bust, and it's, I don't even want to sit, sit down. Look, I, I will say it's hard to find help right now, and, and that could be a big issue, and that's not just Starbucks that's dealing with that. That, that is every restaurant I've been to, every place I've seen. They have trouble finding help and, and making sure that they can keep the, the hours that they have promised to be open. Um, but, I, but I think you're right, just in terms of the changing nature of the business. This is not a grab and go that's as easy to do. There's a lot of complicated stuff they've added to the menus and that, that bring in, especially some of the younger people. Um, but we'll see. You know, Howard Schultz is there, and he's done it before, so people are watching pretty closely. By the way, he bought a lot of stock last week, too, a, a huge amount, just kind of putting his money where his mouth is on this, too, um, batting on himself. In the meantime, Starbucks is considering only external candidates to be its next CEO. That's according to a Wall Street Journal interview with interim CEO Howard Schultz. Schultz said that the company needs to add new talent and skills to its senior leadership ranks. He said the company is trying to identify a new CEO by the fall, and he plans to leave the C-suite by the shareholder meeting in March. Schultz said that he has asked some company veterans to leave to make room for fresh blood. Coming up on Squawk Pod, JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes shares the latest in his offer for Spirit Airlines. We've got an offer on the table today. We think it's a far superior offer. Let's close the deal and create this new, great, uh, high-quality, low-fare national challenger. The corporate battle with Frontier all after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, where the gang is all finally here. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin reunited. Here's Joe. Another twist in the battle between Frontier Airlines and JetBlue to acquire Spirit Airlines. Uh, this morning, JetBlue enhancing its bid. Phil LeBeau joins us now with a special guest. Hi, Phil. Hey, Joe. Let's bring in Robin Hayes, the CEO of JetBlue Airlines, joining us uh, from New York. Robin, let's talk about this enhanced offer. Uh, walk me through the thinking here of raising the reverse breakup fee up to $350 million and providing an immediate $1.50 per share dividend if the deal is approved ultimately between uh, Spirit and JetBlue. Yeah, good morning, Phil. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, we've, uh, in, uh, we've enhanced the uh, offer today, really reinforcing the uh, superior uh, nature of offer. We spent the last few weeks talking to uh, many spirit, spirit shareholders, and uh, you know, we, believe the issue, we believe what we've done today uh, addresses much of the feedback that we, uh, we received, and we expect a very favorable response from, uh, from spirit shareholders. You know, money is great, Robin, but the main question remains whether or not you can get the deal across the finish line with regulators, and obviously the enhanced breakup fee uh, addresses some of that question in terms of some protection for spirit shareholders. Um, but do you honestly believe still that you can get this across the finish line? Uh, absolutely, Phil. I've been in this industry 31 uh, years. We did a lot of work on this uh, before we uh, made the uh, offer to uh, uh, Spirit. It's something that uh, you know when we look at uh, the really the the basis of our regulatory argument. And I, and I think as time has gone on, more and more people are understanding this and saying, yes, this can this can get done. First of all, the JetBlue effect. What this is, when JetBlue flies into a market, uh, the legacy fares, which make up 80% of the market, they match us. Um, and so uh, low fares are much more prevalent and they, they happen across uh, much more the market than they do uh, when an ultra low cost carrier flies on a route, because for the most part, they're not matched. We see that in data. The JetBlue effect is more than three times effective at lowering fares than an ultra-low-cost carrier effect. Secondly, Phil, we've made unprecedented divestiture commitments. We know what it takes to get this deal done. We're going to divest every spirit slot and gate uh, in the four Northeast airports to uh, enable ultra-low-cost carrier competition uh, to continue to uh, thrive. Uh, so really, it's going to be where it was uh, before this transaction. And even though probably we didn't need to, we made a divested commitment in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Even in Fort Lauderdale, though, a combined JetBlue spirit uh, presence um, is still would still be smaller than over 22 airports in the country where you have a, a larger airline. So, you know, both of those things are very important to uh, closing the regulatory process. And also, let's not forget, JetBlue is renowned for low fares and great service. 50% of JetBlue customers today are buying uh, purely on price. And so all of those uh, elements together means that this is the most compelling solution to help keep this industry competitive, to help keep these large four legacy airlines in check and keep consumers benefiting from low fares. And so we have a lot of conviction uh, we can get this done. Robin, is this the final offer? And I say that from this standpoint. You know that Spirit and Frontier are likely going to talk. Frontier likely may come back to them later today, if not the next couple of days before the Friday vote, and say, Fine, we'll increase our reverse breakup fee. 
Do you sense that you probably will have to come up with at least one more enhanced, enhanced bid before Friday? Well, Phil, I mean, the first thing I expect happen is we need the Spirit Board to seriously consider our offer. Uh, this has been a really um, uh, awful process from a corporate governance uh, uh, point of view. We clearly have a superior uh, proposal. We've continued to address the concerns that Spirit shareholders have uh, raised with us. So I expect them to give very careful consideration uh, to this uh, offer. They have large institutional shareholders who have questions and concerns, I'm sure, about some of the, some of the ways this process has uh, uh, gone through. So we've got an offer on the table today. We think it's a far superior offer. We want the board to uh, consider the offer and hopefully come back to us, recognize the superior nature of the proposal and properly engage with us. And uh, let's close the deal and create this new, great, uh, high quality, low fare national challenger uh, to keep the large legacy airlines in check. Hey, Robin, really quickly, you said you've been talking to some of the shareholders. Are, are you talking big institutional shareholders? Uh, we've talked to uh, a number of shareholders, large and small. But enough to make you think that you can definitely sway and win this win this battle. Look, we're very confident uh, in the path that is uh, that, that uh, you know um, um, to to close this. We believe that uh, Spirit are going to have a very hard time uh, getting the uh, getting across the line. Uh, this Friday, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens, but we're going to continue to work it. We're continuing to engage. We've got more uh, meetings uh, this week, and we continue to uh, press the case that our offer is uh, superior. And just to be clear, Raman, you're engaging with the Spirit shareholders, large and small. Are there any conversations at all? I mean, any communication at all between JetBlue and Spirit Management? No, Phil. You know, this has been incredibly disappointing, and you know the you know the industry extremely well. Uh, the largest shareholder of uh, uh, Frontier, Bill Frankie, uh, has a long-running relationship uh, with the chairman of Spirit and um, a couple of the other board members of uh, Spirit. You read their proxy, you see how many meetings, how much engagement there was to get to a Frontier Spirit deal. And uh, uh, we've had not, nothing even close to that level of engagement. Uh, I sent a, We sent a letter again this morning. It's not too late for the Spirit board to do the right thing uh, for their shareholders. I tell you, their shareholders expect them uh, to do it. Which ultimately brings up the question, Robin, we've talked about this before. Does this ultimately end up in court? I mean, given what what you guys are going through right now and what Frontier and Spirit are going through, uh, that some shareholders ultimately, regardless of how the vote goes on Friday, are going to say, you know what, I don't like how this process uh, all came together. And, and I, I think it's better served if we litigate this. Well, you know, in terms of litigation between Spirit shareholders and, and uh, uh, the Spirit, you know, that, that's up to uh, them. Um, you know, in terms of the uh, regulatory process, you know, I think, again, we've been very consistent uh, throughout this whole process that both of these transactions are going to get a lot of regulatory review. Both of these transactions may both end up in court. Um, and, it, you know, it could take some time to uh, work, work through that, where Spirit really represented their deal as a slam dunk. Originally, it was going to get done by the end of the year. They packed off that uh, wisely, I think, uh, and that our deal had no path to uh, getting closed. So I think more and more people are now realizing that both of the deals are going to get a lot of scrutiny. There is a path to close both deals. In our case, it's because of the JetBlue effect. It's because of JetBlue's commitment to low fares and also our unprecedented uh, divestage commitments uh, we've laid out. Robin, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, a very busy morning for you and for JetBlue as you uh, submit an enhanced bid 
for the acquisition of Spirit Airlines. By the way, uh, Andrew, Becky, and Joe, we have reached out to Spirit. We have not heard a response from them to, to uh, this sweetened offer that was submitted within the last hour or so. I'm sure we will hear something at some point, either later today or tomorrow, from Spirit Airlines. Guys, back to you. Okay, thank you for that, Phil. Appreciate you bringing us that. Cheese will be next. Still to come on Squawk Pod, Coinbase is freezing hiring and even rescinding offers. Gemini is laying off its own workers, and some are concerned about a crypto winter. But Forecast founder and CEO Angie Lau says it's not all bad news. The unique buyers and participants in this market is expanding. We'll be right back. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick this morning. Take a look. You've got Bitcoin up. It's all, it's all looking up, Joe. Crypto prices uh, rising sharply overnight follows a slew of negative headlines last week, including Coinbase's hiring freeze and Gemini's layoffs. The Winklevoss twins warned the industry might be facing a crypto winter. Uh, joining us now is what investors can expect in the months to come, Angie Lau, editor-in-chief uh, and CEO of Forecast, which uh, covers blockchain and crypto news. Angie, you point out it, it wouldn't be the first time we saw a crypto winner. There's something that was similar to that. I think you, you think back in 2017 and 2018. So uh, I guess my question would be, are we in a crypto winter? And maybe just assume that it has been tough. What month are we in? Is it like mid-February, late February? Maybe we're getting close to the end. Is it, uh, is it like March? Well, it depends which season uh, and which cycle you're talking about. I think we're in a crypto contraction, to be sure, a crypto correction. Uh, you know, in 2018, when we saw what a lot of people dubbed as crypto winter, in the throes of the winter, it was chilly. Uh, prices of Bitcoin dropped 80, 90 percent from the high. And now if you take a look at how Bitcoin uh, prices have dropped, we're not seeing the massive downturn that you saw in the first uh, phase of crypto winter, the first iteration of crypto winter, if you will. This time, I think it's it's much more of a, 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 a possibly 
um, more mature signal of, of the market contraction. And this is also showing signs of maturity of the crypto market. So which month are we in, Joe? I think uh, it's anybody's guess, but I think there's two things that we should never uh, forget about crypto is that it never ceases to surprise us. Uh, and so never be surprised. And crypto will always find a way. And I think this is what the market is reacting to, especially over the weekend. Crypto also never sleeps. <laughs> That's also the, the rule. The uh, absolute levels notwithstanding and the relative levels, all, we always have to you know, point that out. I mean, 31,000. It might be down, but that's a lot for one Bitcoin with anyone that had been following it for, for 10 years. We understand that that's a multiple uh, of where it, it was. But certainly the, the notion of a currency or of a store of value or, uh, or any of these uh, things that people have posited what, what uh, Bitcoin is, that it is a risk asset. And, and what does that mean? Does that make? Does that mean it's bad? Does that mean? Oh no, it's not a store of value, uh, or does it just mean that when there's a lot of money sloshing around, it's going to find its way into a speculative asset like Bitcoin? And when it dries up, it's going to people are going to sell Bitcoin to, to cover margin calls elsewhere and, and everything else. So it acts just like a speculative asset. Is that good or bad? You have to take a look at the short term or the long term play, and that really depends on your horizon. If you're a short term player speculators have moved into this market and really rode it to highs and and really a lot of people were coming in and that took on a speculative note for a lot of other people who see the foundational work being built out right now with crypto with having a utility play along with as you've said speculative or store of value these narratives keep changing and so if your perspective of what value is for cryptocurrency is from your perspective, you're either going to be a speculator and it's going to be short-term play. But for the hodlers, for the holders of Bitcoin who see the long-term horizon uh, really spanning out to, as you've said, Joe, this is a finite asset of 21 million. Uh, and what is being built on top of that, that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, the institutionals are simply just still fractions of the participant in the market. And what we're seeing in terms of robustness, the signals that I'm actually watching, are things that indicate much more longer-term foundational plays. Um, Multi-chain NFT data aggregator CryptoSlam, for example, uh, showing that 22 times the investors, unique investors, getting into the NFT space in January of this year compared to the year before. Uh, we're seeing blockchain protocols uh, beyond Ethereum, like Solana, Polygon, BNB, all of these that are creating value plays and bringing more people into the NFT space because it's more affordable, because it's, it's, uh, it's really growing the market. That is showing us the unique buyers and participants in this market is expanding. Another thing, another huge signal was in Davos. CNBC was in Davos. We were at Davos. And the main promenade, Joe, was all crypto. The brands, they were clear brands. They were clear protocols. And they were having conversations that weren't talking about the crypto winter. In fact, it was quite spring-like weather in Davos. But also 
it was it was about what they were building. Angie, thanks. We'll we'll have you back. We need to talk about uh, institutional adoption is happening, as you say. It's it's a, it's it's small now, and then regulation. In uh, in all around the world, we got to look at all the different because uh, it, it is global, so we can't just focus on what's happening here. But so much we don't we still don't know as it's playing out. But um, up to date. Angie, thanks. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.